0: Welcome back to Generals and Napoleon, episode 46, General Kalancourt, Napoleon's ambassador to Russia, foreign affairs minister, and grand marshal of the palace. We have a special guest on the phone today that I'm very excited to have joining us. Her name is Irene Kim and she is an expert in the 1812 invasion of Russia and say hello, we're happy to have you.
1: Hello, Irene here, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, no,
0: my pleasure, Irene. Um, for those of you who don't know Irene, she has a fantastic Twitter page that I highly, highly recommend. Um, her handle is at two, the number two, Ekans, like sec, like two second, hyphen crossing, two second crossing. And she does a wonderful account of not only the 1812 campaign but all things Napoleon. Correct. Correct. Yeah. How did you How did you kind of get into this this topic or subject?
1: So uh, my interest in Napoleon per se like dates back to when I was in elementary school when I was um, interested in everything uh, history. And then um, last year, I think last summer, uh, when I was like struggling with uh, my life, I uh, came across. Um, the primary sources of the 1812 campaign mm-hmm. and i suddenly um uh, thought maybe um i could you know track this campaign um day by day especially with uh the voices of uh, not the highborn but um more um, of you know the everyman who uh suffered um in the back um, yeah. of huge uh, baggage train.
2: yeah
0: yeah the common soldier really yeah yeah and uh so uh, you're turning all this information, which is tremendous, again, it's on your Twitter page, but you're making it this whole journal into a, a book, correct?
1: Yes. I didn't know like it would uh, become you know, um, this big of a project, but the more I wrote, uh, the more uh, detailed it got, and um, here I am um, on the you know, editing rabbit hole. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we look forward to the book, and uh, uh, I'll definitely uh, let my uh, listeners know when it comes out, so we're looking forward to that. Um, Thank you. Thank
2: you. Yeah, yeah my pleasure.
0: And um, I thought today, and I've had many requests to cover this general. He's such an interesting fellow. The guy Thank we're going to cover today is Armand de Calencore. What? You, what, you, what is our thumbnail sketch of this man who is a, who is a really important aide to Napoleon?
1: He was um, a, a cavalry officer, the master of the horse, or the grand Decree, as well as uh, the French ambassador to Saint Petersburg, uh, who played an important role in, um, you know, balancing um, the, uh, the, you know, uh, balancing the relations between French France and Russia before um, this a fatal um, campaign of 1812. And he was also responsible for trying to, you know, um, announce. Uh, Francis' peaceful intentions to um, the Allies, uh, which was a futile attempt, but um, still demonstrated his unwavering loyalty to Napoleon until um, the Hundred Days and his eventual downfall.
0: Yeah, and it seems like he was in a tough spot because, you know, he was extremely loyal to Napoleon, but he was also very friends with Tsar Alexander, correct?
1: Right. So he's a very peculiar case. I mean, um, no one really, no one in history really um, gets uh, called a loyal, uh, you know, officer or minister for uh, serving two um, sovereigns at the same time, but he <laughs> did manage to, which really highlights his capabilities as diplomat, I think.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point right there. Yeah, indeed. So let's jump into his biography a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Armande Collencourt was born December 1773 in the Picardy region of Northern France. His parents were Louis, Gabriel and Anne Josephine. And his father served in the Royal Army of King Louis XVI. Were they a noble family? I assume so.
1: Oh, they were like, um, you know, the most prestigious of uh, the French nobility. Mm-hmm. Their um, lineage dated back to uh, the 1370. Mm-hmm. And some people even argue that he uh, was remotely related to Guy de Lusignan during uh, the crusade. Mm. And um, this is, um, I think, worth mentioning. So the French nobility could be uh, classified into two tiers. The tier one being the noblesse de paix, and the tier one being noblesse de robe. So uh, corps belonged to the first tier, no- uh, noblesse de paix, or nobles of the sword. They were the um, ancient nobility dating back to the medieval period, who um, earned their fiefdom in return for their military service to the king. Mm. And they occupied about 30% of um, the total uh, population of the nobility in 17th to 18th century. So I would say um, Colin Corr uh, was from an extremely prestigious family, okay. even among the nobility.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. And um, I, I know he had at least one sibling who would also go on to serve Napoleon as a general. Um, did he have a good education growing up?
1: Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, he was educated, very well educated by um, a couple of tutors. And I assume um, the same went for his brother August and two sisters um, he also had.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I, I know that later on, he becomes adept in several languages, which probably owing to his education. I mean, that that's what you want out of a diplomat, someone who's well-educated and can speak in different languages.
1: Yeah, he spoke uh, French, Russian, and uh, German, but mm-hmm. unfortunately not English, <laughs> which was not <laughs> uh, a lingua franca at the, at the time.
0: Yeah, no, it's still impressive. Uh, Yeah. And he begins his military career at a fairly young age, 13. He enlists in a Royal Cavalry Regiment in 1788. And a year later, he's promoted second lieutenant and later serves as aide-de-camp to his father. He's kind of keeping a diary during all this stuff, isn't he?
1: Right. Um, He uh, wrote three memoirs in total. Uh, The first one being the one you mentioned with Napoleon in Russia written... um, about the 1812 campaign.
2: Mm-hmm. Another
1: one um, is called Recollections of um, General Colincourt. Well, it was transcribed by um, a woman author called uh, Madame Elinou, and it's not in chronological order, but it, it encompasses the period uh, between, I think, um, his rise to power um, during the first phase of Napoleon's um, consulate to, um, you know, Napoleon's defeat at the Battle of Waterloo. And the third memoir is called No Peace with Napoleon. It just covers um, his effort to restore um, the, you know, peace in Europe uh, from, I think, 1814. But I believe that memoir was unfinished because uh, he died, um, you know, from stomach cancer while um, still writing it. Yeah. And and
0: it it must be tough. And, you know, we'll come back to Colin Court's story in a moment. But there's so many Mm -hmm. memoirs out there. I know Marshall McDonald had one. Uh, General Junot's wife had one, um, Mm -hmm. um, Napoleon's secretary is at Borean, he had one, like, there's so many out there and some are legitimate and some are completely made up, so it must be hard for you to kind of wade through them.
1: Yeah, I always uh, make sure to cross-check different memoirs, especially um, those about the same event from um, different factions or uh, written by two people who have starkly different views of um, um, the current event. so... Mm -hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But that's
1: also my favorite part when writing because it um, kind of challenges me to integrate all this into um a single analysis and
0: yeah production. yeah and I've been there too where I've, I've read like a little factoid or anecdote but I can't find proof of it anywhere else so I just kind of I, I either leave it out or I, I note that hey I've only heard about this in one place so it may or may not be true but um yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah getting back to Colin Corp's story um in 1792, he's promoted to captain, but is suspected of royalist tendencies due to his noble birth. This is during kind of the height of the French Revolution. How does he yes, kind of in... s- sidestep this this landmine? Yeah, that
1: was him. Um, you know... He almost died you know so yeah. that's uh, a really uh, impressive um, um, impressive story it happened in um, the 20th of uh, May 17 um, you know 2092. when um, his father had already resigned from the army in fear of um, what was to happen um, to his son and a number of other um, officers of um, noble descent mm-hmm. uh, Colin corps began to serve as the ADC to his uncle General Arville and he was on his way to join his regiment in the Von D region, but he became arrested on um, route. Mm-hmm. So how he managed to escape um, his you know, captivity, well, this is um, quite unbelievable. But Colin Khor's <laughs> mother had uh, you know, befriended the jailer's wife and um, saved her from poverty years ago.
2: Mm. So
1: owing to this, Colin Court was able to escape disguised um, as the jailer. But it is said that um, he uh, was, you know, released on the condition that he should serve as a simple uh, soldier for three years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it would not be um, until uh, February 1794 when General um, Lazar Osh uh, notices um, his um, feet during multiple campaigns and intervenes to restore him to the rank of um, the officer.
0: Yeah, that's some story. I didn't know that about the jailer's wife. That's uh, yeah, but it sounds like and and this is a I find this a common trait amongst the marshals, too. He's a real survivor. This this Colin Court, like he knows how to navigate this very dangerous time.
1: Yeah, And what is more surprising is that um, his father and he joined um, you know, the National Guard um, on their volition because uh, despite being um, you know, the upper nobility themselves, they um, identified with the causes of the French Revolution.
2: Mm.
0: He serves in a number of engagements during the French Revolutionary Wars and is wounded twice in battle, but he also gets promoted to Colonel um, later on. Do you know when or how he eventually meets Napoleon?
1: Um, I believe it was during the Egyptian campaign. So. Mm. It should be explained that his father uh, was a great friend um, to Josephine, although mm-hmm. he later uh, fell out of her favor uh, for unknown reasons. Um, and um, thanks to this, uh, his father presents, um, you know, young Colin Corps and um, his brother, August, uh, who was also um, in the army with um, his father and um, older brother to, um, you know, uh, to uh, Josephine and um I believe that this was the first time um, he uh, got a glimpse of um, the man uh, who was to become the first consul and later the um, emperor. So, but um, that was really short.
0: So we're talking like 1798, 1799 time
1: frame. Yes, right. yes. Okay. And how that happened, uh, his father was uh, giving advice to uh, Josephine uh, how to deal with all these fraudulent rumors um, of you know her um, you know, affair with Hippolyte in Napoleon's absence. So mm-hmm. um, Josephine was doing him a favor.
0: Interesting. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, her infidelities, and she was probably seeking advice from anyone she could get advice from. So yeah.
1: Yeah. All
0: right. Um, so moving on in the story, obviously Napoleon becomes First Council, seventeen ninety nine. And in yes. 1801, Napoleon learns to appreciate Colin Court's diplomatic skills and dispatches him for the first time to St. Petersburg to serve as ambassador mm-hmm. to Russia. Uh, what, what do you think his primary objective was in Russia at the time?
1: So um, it should be uh, explained that it took place right after uh, the peace of Lunville, uh, after mm-hmm. following you know the war of coalition and um, you know, Russia in Russia, um, the Tsar Paul had just been assassinated by um, you know, a number of disgruntled uh, ministers. ministers um, uh, which led to uh, the succession of Tsar um, Alexander I. Correct. And Napoleon kind of wanted to um, test the um, waters before resuming, um, you know, communication with Russia because he found, um, based on what he was hearing um, from, you know, his um, you know, agents, Russia was like full of um, anti-French um, sentiments. Considering Napoleon um, and, you know, upstart uh, figure. Mm-hmm. So um, he instructed Colin Court in um, you know, October um, 18, November 1801 to carry his personal letter to Tsar um, Alexander, and um, just nothing really, um, nothing really like um, specific, but just to you know um, test the Russians' um, attitude and um, you know hopefully to uh, rebuild um, their former um, communication between mm-hmm. uh, France and Russia to establish, um, you know, the li- at least the linkage between the two countries.
0: Right. And it seems like he does quite well in this role, correct?
1: Oh, yes. So although it only lasted um, for six months, um, he uh, met Tsar uh, Alexander for the first time there. And um, it seems that he uh, his performance was uh, very well appreciated by the Russians because he um, as he left, he got a um, diamond studded box um, decorated with the Tsar's uh, portrait as a, a farewell gift. <laughs> and a... in return for this service, yeah, Napoleon promoted him to the, um, his 8th camp um, on May 1802.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty nice gift he got right there. So he must, yeah. he, must, he must have done something right. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so he gets back, but a few years later, he's involved in the ad- abduction of the Duke of Ang- Diongian in uh, ah, Baden. Yes. That yeah, know that's a tough one. In the Baden Principality, which I believe is where Tsar Alexander's wife is from. Um yes. what do you think about the kidnapping and subsequent execution of the Duke and Colin Court's involvement slash reaction to it?
1: So it was um you know, a turning point in Colin Court's um career and um turning point in his perception of Napoleon. Whom he really used to um, worship without question. Mm-hmm. Surprising, considering his later, um, you know, um, you know, um, remarks, um, you know, advices to Napoleon, which was like just, um, you know, full of honesty. But back, back then, you know, he, Napoleon still had this glow to him. So um, this appointment, Napoleon concealed the truth of um, the full details of disappointment, appointment. Napoleon um, concealed from Colin court.
0: I think Colin Court was probably like, I just thought you were going to abduct the guy I didn't know you were going to kill him i think is that kind of where you' what, what you were thinking about
1: in reality um uh was not even aware that the Duke was being abducted he was mm-hmm. um oh, the only thing known to him at the time was um some you know criminal in um the Baden principality um to ittenheim uh, more specific was um beca- becoming um you know captured by um Another um, general with the uh, uh, same, op- same appointment. Mm-hmm. but um, he did not know that it was um, the Duke of. It was the Duke of Anguien. Mm-hmm. He would only, um, you know, discover the affair right after he uh, returns uh, to France on the twenty-first of, of March, when the Duke already had been um, executed at the castle of Vincennes, which it, and that was a decision which. Um, even Savary and Boucher um, pleaded Napoleon to um, think twice before enacting. Um, mm-hmm. But the job had to be done because Napoleon um, said, this will um, show example to all the um, Bourbon conspirators, especially in the aftermath of the um, pitchigru affair right. in January 1804. And Colicor, uh discovers this um, event by reading um, the Lou Monitor, um, on the um, on the you know morning of the tw- evening of the 21st and he is just um devastated you
0: know? and I think going back to your earlier point I think before this incident Concord was blindly loyal to Napoleon now he's still loyal to him after this but it's kind of with like one eye open you know like he's aware of what Napoleon is at that point
1: Yes. So after this event, um, he he began to um, keep a certain critical distance from Napoleon and began to be described by his colleagues as um, somewhat too stiff. And so honest that Napoleon would, um, you know, look for Duroc instead of him when he was looking for, um, you know, some good advice. Advice that was um, good for, you know, good for him to hear. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check.
0: Yeah so moving on to the story though in 1807 uh, he's sent back to Russia as ambassador and develops again a, a genuine strong friendship with Tsar Alexander what some might say it was almost too close like he was more friendly with Alexander than with his master Napoleon is that is that accurate
1: oh yes most accurate, I would say, um, which was making Napoleon um, pretty much um, insecure. Uh, but there is like more to the story than um, their, you know, um, friendship. So um, he got commissioned to his, um, you know, emissarial duty uh, after the Treaty of Tilsit, uh, and that was um, in uh, on November 1807 when he arrived in Saint Petersburg. Colin Court uh, initially uh, refused to um, you know, accept this um, duty because. He um, did not want to part with the love of, her, love of his life, Adrian, for mm-hmm. two years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And other people were um, skeptical of his appointment as well because um, um, of his, um, well, of the stigma associated with him for, you know, being complicit, uh, regardless of what he himself thinks in the Dongyan affair. and really? also, um Joseph DeMater, um uh, said he was much amused about this, this decision of Napoleon because while Colin Poor was well-born and boasts about it, he has this common air underneath the embroidery and he is stiff as if he had the marionette strings in his joints. <laughs> but... <laughs> but I should argue that um, it was um, this common air, a surprising common air he had, which helped um, smoothen um, the relationship between um, him and Tsar Alexander. So as soon as, like, he um, made entrance to the gates of, of the Winter Palace, Alexander himself received him like an old friend, but everyone else were avoiding him, avoiding him like a plague, um, calling him a murderer. And some would even, like, openly refuse his visits.
2: Oh, my.
0: So it's making his so, job pretty yeah. difficult, I would imagine. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so he saw a thorny path ahead. And Colicourt, um he felt so humiliated because um, you know, he was being blamed for an affair that he did not even know, know of at the time and even carried a lengthy letter explaining how um, he <laughs> was completely unaware of Napoleon's order at that time. He would, like, show it around to any visitors, um, you know, like John Quincy Adams, Ramya Mr. Harris, and other diplomats in St. Petersburg. And one day, um, he was so sick and tired of, you know, doing this, that he um, asked for an audience with the Tsar and um, pleaded that um, other people um, should not uh, consider him as such, you know, this um, murderer of um, the uh, Tsar's brother-in-law. And right. I, and what Alexander says um, is just remarkable. I will not read him, um, mm. meaning um, the lengthy letters he carried uh, with him all the time. I have long since been acquainted with everything that can be known uh, relative to the unfortunate death of the Duke dong sure. He is my brother-in-law. His court is in some degree a portion of mine. You may therefore be certain that I know the truth of all that concerns you. I know your innocence. I affirm this on my word of honor. And I hope that pledge will be received. So uh, from that moment, Colin Core, no one really, um, you know, no one began to um, treat Colin Core the same way um, they used to. Uh, making Concord, um, you know very devoted to Emperor Alexander in right. um, Lord Junot's you know, words. He was even granted like um, one of the finest mansions in St. Petersburg to stay, the Volkonsky Palace. It was said that it was the second best residence next to the Grand Duke Constantine's.
0: Wow. Okay. So, yeah, and, yeah. yeah, so clearly Alexander couldn't have been too mad at him if he gave him the second nicest house in St. Petersburg. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but in 1808 to make his life more complicated i mean he is rewarded by napoleon as a duke he becomes duke of vincenza but mm-hmm. the, the complicated part is uh napoleon napoleon uh, uh colincourt was trying to find napoleon a new bride after his divorce from josephine and yep. originally they were trying to match napoleon with a russian bride correct
1: Oh yes, so that was um, what had been, um, you know, promised um, at Tilsit, so um, a year ago, that um, Napoleon wished to marry the youngest sister of the Tsar named um, Princess Anna Pavlovna, and um, calling court, um, this, this, um, the, with this Napoleon was um, getting impatient in Paris. And by 14th December, 1809, Napoleon uh, and all his marriage with Josephine. So he is single again. And he um, begins to prod Colin Kaur to make the arrangement an official one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but the Russians begin to um, delay all this uh, for months. And in 28th December, 1809, Colin Kaur, um, you know, delivers uh, the proposal to the Tsar, but um, you know, Alexander only gives very uh, evasive, a- evasive answers. Mm-hmm. So this is quite complicated. But despite like um, their, um, you know, naive display of uh, friendship, Colin Core later um, testified how Alexander uh, was um, doing this on purpose to some degree, like mm-hmm. keeping um, the politically sensitive information on the side and, um, you know, um, intentionally uh, uh, centering their relationships on. Um, you know banter about everyday life but when um the matter uh, boiled down to this um sensitive issue alexander uh, would not give him a def- definitive answer mm-hmm. so he secretly um thought napoleon by doing this was um you know fulfilling his endless uh territorial um, ambitions mm-hmm. which um the russian court uh would you know not accept and which if accepted would severely constrain the Tsar's legitimacy. So as he uh, delays um, giving France an answer, Colin Court is um, forced to deliver the czar an ultimatum, to give an answer within 10 days. Mm-hmm. But to avoid um, embarrassing his um, dear friend, Alexander just cites um, the Empress's objection to um, marrying her off at such a young age, below um, the age um, 16. And this gives um, an opportunity for the Austrians um, to, you know, exploit the growing, noticeably growing wedge between France and Russia. Because um, Metternich, he uh, began to notice how uh, Napoleon was um, dying to uh, marry Anna Pavlovna, which would result in a Franco-Russian alliance, which would isolate um, and threaten Austria's uh, territorial uh, and strategic position in Central Europe. Right. yeah, uh, and, so and, use, and, uh, and,
0: and the reason for all this was just Josephine was not, not able to produce an heir. So then we have Marie-Louise, who is the daughter mm-hmm. of Austrian Emperor Francis, correct?
1: Yep, Austrians began to um, push for um, the um, Austrian alternative to um, Napoleon marrying a, the Russian princess. And it was um, spearheaded by um, the first secretary, Flort who openly expressed this regret during a during the last party hosted by Josephine, how um, you know, he wished Napoleon to marry an Austrian bride instead. And by February, Napoleon became impatient enough that he declared he had decided in favor of Austria and notified Alexander of the termination of the ongoing, ongoing arrangement mediated by um, calling Right. And the Schwarzenberg proceeds to carry the order to the um, Austrian court. And, um, you know, the marriage was um, consummated between Napoleon and Marie Louise.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many layers and in intrigue of that story. Um, and mm-hmm. then maybe some of that um, where Alexander was dragging his feet does lead into yeah. the War of 1812. Yeah, you know, Obviously there's other reasons, you know, the continental system and territory disputes that lead to the 1812 invasion. But Colin Court in 1812, strongly tries to dissuade Napoleon from invading Russia, and he obviously fails at this. Why do you think he was so adamant about avoiding this conflict with uh, Tsar Alexander?
1: Oh, first of all, um, he was trying to make sure that um, Napoleon understand that Alexander was becoming insecure, not aggressive about um, the French. So he said um, after his uh, return to France in June June 1811, um, he told Napoleon that Alexander is, um, you know, becoming affronted at um, Napoleon suddenly um, going to marry Marie Louise instead, as well as, um, you know, his um, aggressive behaviors um, in the Hanseatic cities, um, this, and later, you know, the um, occupation of, of Swedish Pomerania and Danzig, uh, which was to be um, a free city. In other words, um, he was the one be- um, who was breaching uh, the Treaty of Tilsit. Yet you are the one accusing Alexander of breaching it. That doesn't make any sense. It's um, <laughs> only natural for Alexander um, to be, you know, um, you know, to um, to be alarmed at all this. You you must stop. If you stop first, then um, no costly uh, war will um, arise. Now that mm-hmm. was um, his first argument. But another reason he, um, um, you know, opposed this war, this um, campaign, was. What um, Alexander had told um, him and Ternyshev while um, he was in St. Petersburg, to um, cite his word, he said, "Um, people don't know how to suffer. If the fighting went against me, I should retire to Kamchatka rather than see provinces and sign in my capital treaties that were really only truces. Your Frenchman is brave, but long privations and a bad climate will wear him down and discourage him. Our climate, our winter, will fight on our side. With you, marvels only take place where the emperor is in personal attendance. He cannot be everywhere. He cannot be absent from Paris year after year, which could not be um, more true in hindsight. Yeah,
0: it's almost like he was seeing the future right there. That's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that must have been, Collin Court must have been in a a weird position because he's invading the country of one of his best friends. You know, it, it must have been so weird.
1: Yes, and um, what's uh, what was more difficult for him than that was Napoleon began to accuse him of, you know, colluding with uh, the Russians. He even began to call him, um, you know, Mr. Russian, uh, <laughs> right in his face, um, you know, and the first part of, so the first part of 1812 went like this, um, Colin Cord would, uh, you know, Napoleon would uh, approach Colin Court and um, demand him to answer. say Alexander wants war with me, and Colin Court just like becomes flabbergasted and responds, <laughs> "No, he sure doesn't." But right. Napoleon was like, "No, Alexander is you know a really um, you know wily man. Um, he's a um, Greek, cunning um, Greek guy. Uh, he is um, surely um, planning on something." And Colincourt's Court's like, "Please, no." And then, um, you know, Collin Court and Napoleon um, have have this argument uh, several times more to um, a point where they um, stop talking for a while. With Napoleon secretly preparing all these um, carriages and wagons to be transported um, to Russia, Mm -hmm. which Collin Court um, takes notice of, and um, you know, again advises Napoleon to um, stop, but he doesn't listen.
0: But Napoleon must trust him somewhat because he makes him master of the horse and his close guard during the invasion. Uh,
1: Yes.
0: So court has gone. He's probably angry that he's there. But his brother Mm -hmm. also uh, joins as a a general. But at the Battle of Borodino, something very bad happens.
1: Ah, yes. So um, his brother um, served um, in um, the cavalry corps. And during the Battle of Borodino, At around um, 2 p.m., I think, um, when Napoleon and Colin Corps were just waiting for um, the results um, cloistered in their headquarters. um, The army, the cav, he began to order uh, his cavalry to charge at the Russian center, uh, which was defended by uh, the Ryansky Redoubt, or Mm -hmm. um, also called the Great Redoubt. Napoleon finds that the um, General uh, Monbron in command of you know, the 2nd um, uh, Cavalry Corps had, um, the 1st Cavalry Corps had um, died um, in the heat of the battle.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: Napoleon um, tells uh, General, the brother Colin Corps you know, go and take command of the 1st Cavalry Corps. Do as you did at uh, the Spanish campaign. And um, Berthier uh, gives uh, the approval for Napoleon's order And um, he um, swears to his brother before leaving Mm -hmm. with things this hot. I don't suppose I shall see you again. We shall win or I shall get myself killed. And then he makes this um, unbelievable act of charging at the redoubt with um, the, you know, all the cavalry he had. Mm -hmm. So he he is said to have shouted, follow me, weep not for Hmongbram, but come and avenge his death. Mm. with, um, you know, Murat ordering him to um, do the job. Um, he also said, you shall see me there, dead or alive. Wow. Uh, but as he yeah, charged at um, the Redoubt, he was um, killed by a cannon cannonball. Mm-hmm. And an hour later, Colin Kaur, uh hears um, this news when, um, you know, he heard um, this uh, ferocious cannonade from the other side of the Moscow River. So Colin Cor again, um, yeah, becomes um, struck with grief but Napoleon um, just says, "Now you've um, heard the order. Do you wish to retire?" But Colin Corp, um you know, responds by merely taking off his hat and refusing to leave um, the presence of his emperor mm. um, during the campaign. So during this, during their stay at Moscow, Napoleon uh, he just um, asked Napoleon to promote all the officers who had served for his brother. But by that time. Um, Colin Court had become um, kind of disappointed in Napoleon and they again um, kind of um, stopped talking and dining together, but yeah. Napoleon only um, did this uh, condescendingly. Nevertheless, um, yeah, they were all promoted. Thank yeah, Court.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting story. And I know Colin Court warns Napoleon against wintering in Moscow. Is that because he knows the Tsar will not make peace or they just don't have enough supplies to stay in Moscow?
1: Oh, most importantly, he was aware how severe a uh, Russian um, winter could be. Mm-hmm. And second, like you said, um, yes, he knew that Alexander um, meant it when he when he said something that um, he will not surrender and he would rather just, um, you know, wait out um, Napoleon's surrender while he himself uh, stays in uh, the Kamchatka. So he strongly advised uh, Napoleon to um, not to make his stay at Moscow and um during um the you know final days um of Napoleon's stay in Moscow, he um was the one who um you know prompted Napoleon to prepare for everything necessary to march the army on the frozen ground by um you know provide equipping the horses with the calkin shoes, right. which um no one really cared about. Even um, Birth Year um, didn't care um distributing um, the warm clothing like um, leather and furs until the um, very last day of their stay in Moscow. Right. And, and it our... was only Colin Court and the Polish soldiers um, who were uh, preparing for um, these, you know, Kalkins um, to the, you know, lethal consequences at the end of um, their retreat. Yeah. When all the horses were like breaking their legs on, you know, the frozen ground.
0: Yeah, yeah, and the ice. And that leads to disaster for the whole Grand Armée. Yeah. In the subsequent retreat, though, and I think this is a really interesting point. Concord, you know, after they escape from their Zena River, they get over the river, uh, which is a miracle in its own right uh napoleon finally realizes like i need to get back to paris there's no need for me to stay with the army anymore it's for the most part safe i can leave it to murat and eugene to bring back
1: mm-hmm.
0: but he chooses colin Corps to accompany him in the sledge not marshal berthier why do you mm-hmm. think that is
1: okay berthier um asked to be taken along but napoleon flatly refused saying no the army needs you yeah. But he takes court. So the question should be, I think, uh, why Colin Corp, um instead of like anyone else? Yeah, I believe it's because um, it was court himself who had advised Napoleon to um, leave for Paris as soon as possible. Mm. And that happened on the day after the Battle of malo when um, Napoleon was you know, nearly attacked um, by a group of Cossacks. Uh, so they um, began to spend the night at a small monastery at Luspenskoy, near uh, Barayagoslavets, mm-hmm. when um, Napoleon suddenly wakes Colin corps up at 2 a.m-ish and asks him, um, what should I do? <laughs> what should I, should I leave for Paris? Right. Um, the Malay conspiracy I'm hearing about, but how would the army re- respond in my absence? And how uh, would I afford to travel across Prussia uh, when the Prussians um, were, you know, becoming suspicious of the French, hostile to the French. And Colin Corp just uh, frankly tells him this. It's not bad that you leave, and you should not care about what the soldiers think. Now, this may sound um, quite, you know, um, quite, um, you know, cold of him. But right. the underlying uh, rationale was that Napoleon already had um, done enough bad to the soldiers by Starting this campaign per se, and there was nothing more he could do um, in this, you know, front line that was crumbling to no end. and It was more important for him to uh, reestablish uh, the national security in his own, uh, in Paris, uh, while rebuilding the army. Yeah, um, and that he could he could always travel across Prussia anonymously. And Napoleon would do so by disguising himself as a uh, secretary under a calling corps.
2: <laughs> well,
0: and I think you make a good point uh, almost there that, yeah, he could have taken Marshal Berthier, but that would have been depriving the remaining army of, uh, and I think there's two geniuses in the army at this point. There's Napoleon and Berthier. And to take Berthier and all his logistical knowledge away from the remnant of that army would have would have been a disaster. So I think that's why he left. Berthier there and took Colin Collincore.
1: Yeah, but unfortunately, uh, that was the expectation. But the reality was uh, Berthier was not proactive enough to restrain Barat from um, committing all kinds of you know foolish behavior <laughs> because uh, he lacked. Uh, Collincore later, um, you know, evaluated Berthier as uh, lacking um, the capacity to uh, make independent judgments, mm-hmm. and that's um, exactly uh, what Berthier did. Like you know, how he did not uh, pay attention to the distribution of leather because uh, probably it was not um, ordered by Napoleon. Right. In consequence, you know, um, Murat would abandon um, the army and head for Naples. Yeah. Now it should also be emphasized that Coligny and Berthier pleaded Napoleon to make Wajin the commander in chief, not Murat.
2: And
0: there were still other marshals, you know, in the group. So for them to take orders mm-hmm. from another marshal must have been. It, it must have been hard for them. Like, if you're Marshal Ney and you've been fighting this rearguard or, or Mortier or any of the other marshals that were still out there, you know, to have your in charge mm-hmm. must have been very annoying. So, yeah, I get yeah. it. Um, so Napoleon and the rest of the Grand Army somewhat escaped from Russia. Um, in 1813, uh, we're back on campaign, the German campaign. Uh, yes. where, where is Concord in this situation?
1: So, Colin Corp, um, you know, is still in um, Paris and the Fontainebleau in the early phase of the campaign with Napoleon, of course. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, on the uh, first days of um, April, he leaves for uh, Bayens with Napoleon again, riding right next to him. Um, mm-hmm. as, this time, again, as um, the Grand Equerry in charge of maintaining the line of communication and um, the horses, which had become luxury to the army. Right. yeah he always, he still has to listen to Napoleon, just like um, dwelling on um, his philosophy of life, his philosophy on women, etc.
0: Something occurs, and I, is it after Lutzen or Bautzen that this occurs? The death of Duroc.
1: Ah, uh, Bautzen, when Duroc uh, is hit by a cannonball.
0: Yeah, and dies quite horribly. Uh, and Duroc is yeah. Grand Marshal of the palace, and yeah, although you're not technically a marshal, it's a very important position because. Does it control access to Napoleon, or why is that such an important job?
1: So um, if the uh, marshals of the army controlled um, the exterior of the army, those um, actually fighting at the front line, the grand marshal controlled everything internal to the army, the um, emperor's um, household moving along with um, the army. Mm -hmm. That is, um, a grand marshal would take control of all the expenses related to food, scouting, security, uh, servants accompanying Napoleon, etc., as well as monitoring um, the security of the emperor's camp. Mm. And, you know, what's amazing is that Napoleon, uh, Colin Court was serving as simultaneously the Grand equerry and um, the Grand Marshal at the same time, but no friction was reported between um, his two tasks. So mm. it must be said that he, he must have been very, um, you know, good at multitasking.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that must have been exhausting, handling those two positions yeah. at the same time um but unfortunately as we know um you know in the story napoleon in 1814 uh they have the invasion of france and and he's forced to advocate in april 1814 yeah um so this must have been a sorrowful moment for Colin Court to see his master exile but there's a slight bit of good news in, in 1814 do you want to touch on the bit of good news for Colin Court?
1: Ah, uh, yes uh, so It's a uh, really touching um, story. Um, The Duke of Vicenza's 10 year affair, love affair with uh, Madame Adrienne de Canisi. So he first um, met um, Adrienne between 1803 to 1804 um, and he became smitten with her. He was um, now known for his success with with women, even in um, the court of Paris. But after he uh, saw her for the first time, he um, did not know um, any other uh, woman to commit to. Mm-hmm. And he found out that she had been unhappily married to her uncle since the age 13 to keep the uh, family fortune intact because mm-hmm. she was from an Asian nobility family like um, Colin Kaur himself. Right. Um, yeah, and uh, Adrian was appointed the lady in waiting to uh, Josephine around uh, 1805 and around the, it was also around this time when Napo, um, he asked Napoleon's permission for him to marry her. But Napoleon wouldn't really approve of um, the marriage. So it meant Colin Corps had to wait for 10 years to uh, marry her um, in May 1814 when Napoleon randomly um, gives, gives um, the approval to, you know, um, for Colin Corps to marry her in 10 years when um, he had nothing else to, you know, uh, reward um, <laughs> you know, his um, you know, favorite minister with.
0: Right, right. It's just yeah, and they that, would have
1: two sons together, yeah.
0: Yeah, they had two sons together, and it sounds like a quite a love story, but it, yeah, it is unfortunate he had to wait 10 years just to marry her, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. that must have been, like, just exhausting. Yeah. I believe, like, they were on the point of um, giving up, and Colin court too, like, um, you know, had nothing left in the absence of Napoleon, but Adrian, um, you know, readily accepted his, uh, you know, proposal. And they Mm -hmm. never um, parted afterwards, so it ended happily.
0: Okay, so everything's gone great. Concord's now married and Napoleon's Mm -hmm. off, exiled at Elba, but guess what? Except for the
1: fact that he doesn't have any job left. (laughs) Right,
0: right, he's unemployed right now. But uh, thankfully his boss escapes Elba and we have the hundred days reign where Napoleon regains the throne in 1815. Uh, Mm -hmm. What is Concord's role in this part of Napoleon's uh, empire?
1: So uh, he becomes reemployed as the Minister of Foreign Affairs, a job um, he had um, since, you know, November 1814, when Bertrand was replaced as um, the Grand, Grand Marshal. Mm-hmm. And he becomes um, in charge of, um, you know, announcing, um, the, you know, persuading the states of Europe of <laughs> Napoleon's uh, peaceful intent, right, right. Uh, especially, <laughs> you know, yeah, Austria. Austria, yeah. Especially Austria, whom Napoleon um, saw as, you know, um, the bargaining chip in this complex network of alliances. Because Austria was, you know, rather infamous for shifting of sides as the, you know, balancer of Europe. And he, uh, Napoleon seemed to have really believed that um, based on his uh, marriage with Marie-Louise, Austria could be uh, brought back to this orbit. But Colin Kor also, um, you know, engaged in heavy discussions with the Austrian and Russian charged affairs who have been um, remaining in Paris.
0: What a tough job though, to be foreign minister and to tell the ally, the other countries of Europe, don't worry, Napoleon's changed, He's not gonna invade anybody. You know, and I'm yeah, sure... and
1: even Colin Core himself is not really convinced that um, they will be convinced. So, um, yeah, he must have been, you know, um, seeing the inevitable, um, you know, opening up before him. But he was uh, performing the job um, because he remained blindly loyal to Napoleon despite his um, skepticism about um, his wars.
0: Right, and obviously Napoleon doesn't keep his word and invades Belgium, and we have the Waterloo. <laughs> Um yeah. what I think is interesting is after Napoleon's second abdication and you know he lost Waterloo he has to he's exiled for the final time to St Helena and mm-hmm. Concord's name is put on the prescribed list by the returning Bourbons but uh, yes. who is who is he saved by
1: He was saved by Tsar Alexander Right a friend of 15 years
0: Yeah isn't that amazing like Tsar Alexander's like you know you invaded my country, but because of my friendship, I'm going to, you know, save your life by taking you off of this list of the second white terror where, you know, the Bourbons are going to go around and kill all of Napoleon's closest allies. But isn't that, like, the one name that Alexander picked to save was, was this guy.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah so I- uh,
1: what's more, like, striking about this is that um, Colin Court himself never, um, you know, visited Alexander to um, ask for, um, you know, ask him to save him. But rather, Alexander openly, you know, um, approached uh, Louis, the, Louis the 18th and defended uh, Colin Court's conduct that no minister should be obliged to serve two sovereigns at the same time. And he turns to Colin Court and says, Mike, dear Colin Court, come and reside at the court of Russia. The Bourbons know, too, that you will never crouch to them, that your apostasy will not add to the humiliation of Napoleon in a war Colincourt, court you are a man too much in the kingdom of france come then to the court of russia where there is room for you and yours and in me you shall find a fr- friend who will never renounce you mm. so colin core throws himself at the feet of Tsar Alexander. um he you know dreams of um a happy future in the court of russia but mm-hmm. he ended up staying in france um, and finishes his memoir uh, this part of his memoir by saying alas Um, In my own mind, plans of future happiness are buried in Alexander's grave.
2: Right. Right.
0: And it seems like he lived pretty much quietly in retirement after 1815. Um, Unfortunately, he dies in 1827 at the relatively young age of 53 and uh, from the same illness that kills Napoleon's stomach cancer.
1: Oh, yes. He um, had the misfortune of sharing um, his boss's ailment.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But still, I mean, young age, um, obviously his... He has a wife and family. One of his sons goes on to serve um, as senator to Napoleon III, Napoleon's uh, yeah. nephew. Um, but let's talk about his memoirs. I know we mentioned it earlier, but um, mm-hmm. before, before we get to that, what do you think the legacy of Colin Kord is?
1: If Napoleon's life was a Greek tragedy and the invasion of Russia, his Hamarsha, Colin Kord was that voice of reality that Napoleon had failed to um, heed to because of, you know, um, his blindness, his blind pursuit of um, ambition, I would say. Mm. And in um, diplomat, on the diplomatic level, I think, um, you know, Colin Corps embodied um, what Napoleon had um, lacked to, um, you know, his own end. Um, so while, you know, uh, Napoleon um, achieved, you know, brilliant uh, military victories, um, you know, up to, um, I sh- you know, up to um, his mistakes in Spain and Russia, he had uh, failed to, you know, um, appease um, his neighbors um, and, you know, perpetuate um, the glory he had earned by military conquest by um, building a stable uh, network of diplomatic relations. Colin Core strived to um, achieve the very opposite opposite of that, but Napoleon um, had, you know, um, uh, really mostly ignored uh, his advice, and it was only um, in the later period. Um, the late eighteen thirteen to eighteen fifteen, that Napoleon began to, um, you know, um, take notice of um, what Colin Court had emphasized during mm-hmm. his heyday.
0: But I think one of the myths about Napoleon is that he only surrounded himself with yes men. Like I, I think he surrounded himself with a lot of people who told him the truth. Uh, Marshal Macdonald, Marshal Ney, uh, Colin mm-hmm. Court. I think these were some men that, no matter what happened in the empire you know, these guys were always telling Napoleon the truth, whether he wanted to hear it or not.
1: Yeah, he was. Yeah, I think he was like one of the, you know, um, one of the most brutally honest men um, Napoleon um, needed, many of whom had already been um, dead um, by the time his power was crumbling. So I would say like um, you know, Colin Court uh, was, um, I think, um, just one of the um, one of the most um, loyal ministers Napoleon had. Um, whose efforts were not really reciprocated by Napoleon himself.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, he was an interesting man for sure. Um, getting back to his memoirs, and this part is really interesting. People who know history know that, you know, obviously the Nazis studied Napoleon's invasion mm-hmm. of Russia. And I know Concord's memoirs were of particular interest to Nazi generals during the invasion of Russia. And there is a quote, from General Gunther Blumentritt, who recounted, quote, I can still see General von Kluge trudging through the mud from his sleeping quarters to his office and standing there before the map with Colin book in his hand. That went on day after day, end quote. So that must've been some memoir that the Nazi generals, you know, who were out of ideas were studying it to figure out how to beat the Russians.
1: Oh, yes. Although, like there were um, key strategic differences between um, the 1812 campaign and the Operation Barbarossa, um, yeah, his memory, his memoir was extensively um, studied because, uh, first of all, it was very recently um, discovered. Um, only after the First World War, meaning uh, it was one of the most one of the um, newest accounts of um, a large um, campaign on Russia, mm-hmm. um, the and the one um, that had um, you know failed miserably. Mm-hmm. And um, second, I think Colin Court's um, insistence on um, avoiding, um, avoiding, I think, overextending the supply lines um, for for, like an, uh, for you know, a long period of time, um, avoiding you know, uh, wintering in Russia and the war of attrition, etc. I think uh, von Kluge and other um, generals um, took uh, Colin Court's warning. As, um prophecies um to their um, own ca- own campaign which um the you know upper commandants had um, envisioned to finish within um, 10 months which had um you know to our knowledge turned out to be an illusion
0: right right several years and it, it turned into a loss um but yeah. I think, you know it also talks about the stiffness of the Russian soldier uh what great fighters they are and I think I think that's what von Kluge and the others were were, were interested in. You know, in, in addition to oh, like, yes. you, you know, the you mentioned the lines of communication and the lines of supply and how important that was.
1: Yep, and you know that formed I think um, one of the theories uh, concerning um, you know the uh, Russo German German War um, in the Second World War uh, as like you know. The uh, resilience of the Russian soldiers as uh, one of the, you know, um, key uh, factors to Germany's um, defeat. That mm-hmm. I, 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 believe that formed um, one of the, you know, schools of theories. Although it's kind of um, died out uh, recently.
0: Right, right. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I'll have to read this memoir. It sounds like really a, a great opportunity, especially the uh, the Russian one, as you mentioned, is um, a great opportunity to learn more about Colin Cor and about Napoleon himself.
1: Oh, of course, but uh, you have to uh, prepare yourself for all the cringe fest at the end. You know, during the fortnight's journey back to Paris, when Napoleon was saying all these embarrassing things to Colin Court. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I will prepare myself for that part of it as well. But yeah, I mean, uh, I really appreciate that that overview. I mean, that was a really good uh, biography of Colin Court and um, I appreciate you coming on. Sound like a like he sounds like a really intriguing guy to to study on.
1: Ah. I'm glad like you know, um, my briefing <laughs> made you feel that way because yeah. I think Colin Core really needs more love. He's such an unsung hero um, among you know, the Napoleon's um, marshals and officers. I yeah, think.
0: You know that's a great point because you, you do, you hear about you know, the marshals and Eugene and Dirac, but you don't get enough information on Colin Core. So I'm glad you were kind enough to educate, on, educate us on this man.
2: <laughs> thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you for coming on. And uh, one more final shout out uh, her uh, Twitter page for um, is at Second Crossing Second and Seven S. It's
2: a two Second dot Crossing on Twitter, and I highly recommend all my listeners check it out.